Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Biggest story of the offseason and making it even more stunning the fact that it has been largely ignored by the likes of ESPN and NFL media because they didn't report it. Chris and I started talking about it in late February, the possibility of Tom Brady and Sean Payton to Miami. Dave Hyde of the South Florida Sun Sentinel reported on Friday that it was in play. It wasn't just in play. Look, I've become more more, open and brazen and candid about it. It was happening. It was halfway it down was the road. Done. Right, right. It wasn't. It was done. It was just a matter of how it all unfolded. But you know how these big deals go. They get done, and then there's a way that it has to play out. It was done. Tom Brady retires February 1. The next week, he would have been named minority owner of the Miami Dolphins. Then, not long after that, they would have done a deal with the Saints for Sean Payton. And then at some point after that, after the Buccaneers had found another quarterback and they really couldn't have brought back Tom Brady because they've devoted the resources to another guy that they're getting ready to be their quarterback, that's when you take what you get from the Dolphins and he becomes their quarterback. It was happening. The Brian Flores lawsuit filed the same day Tom Brady retired, derailed everything, but it was happening. And what Dave Hyde has added to that conversation that it, it's not a surprise to me, but, you know, one of these reports is going to wake more people up. Hyde said that the Dolphins were going to pay Sean Payton $100 million over five years. Now, Albert Breer of SI.com yesterday said it was actually four years. Either way, $20 million <laughs> or $25 million per year, a $100 million contract for Sean Payton. You don't get to that point if it's not done. You don't get to the point where you know what they're going to pay him if it's just exploratory. It was a done deal it was happening but for the brian flores lawsuit and i'm telling you the more i think about it because i i really do think it was in brian flores interest to wait wait for the texans to hire josh mccown wait for the dolphins to hire sean payton makes your case stronger right 
I really do feel like, and I don't know this, but I do, I, I do feel like that there may have been a desire to blow that up and keep Stephen Ross from getting Sean Payton and Tom Brady. It was a nice little collateral benefit to filing the lawsuit when Brian Flores did, Chris. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. I don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, wait, hey, you're you're getting you know screwed over. Why not? You know, screw those people over on your way out the door. I could certainly see that mindset there a little bit, or make things hard on them. But yeah, I you know again, I don't, I don't even know what else to say here. I feel like we've talked about it so many times. I want to just be like, I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. We've been saying it since February twenty eighth. It's, it's I'm sick of going on radio networks and people going, you know, what about that rumor and like rumor. We we've been talking about yeah. this. I'm telling oh, I've everybody. Had that happen. I know. Hey hey, we wait, are wait, the people hey, that started that real of, factual what rumor. Of, what do you think of that? What do you think about that Sean Payton the Miami rumor? Well, I'll tell you what I think about. And I you know I got I got you know some pushback from some people that who backed away eventually once I started pushing back, especially even Tampa Bay. I mean, come on. It's as real as it gets. It was it was not like real. It was halfway down the road and almost home. That's how far down the road they were with this conversation. And then again, Brady was asked about it last week, and what did he do? bs and didn't say one damn thing. Oh, I talked to a lot of people. I, I talked to a lot of teams. And, and he changed the subject. Right, he changed the subject. Come on. He was leaving Tampa Bay. There was compensation already discussed. Now and and that's real. And then it was compensation discussed between Miami and the Saints and the Bucks and the Miami Dolphins as well. It was all in the works and happening and the plan was going as planned until, like you said, Brian Flores and all that happened. So again, this is what I love. We're gonna continue to get more inklings and inklings and inklings to where, you know, it's gonna come like you you said it from the start. It's gonna come late August or early September. Week and, one, Sunday splash, yeah, ESPN, exactly. Shefty. That's what's gonna Today, happen. Tom Brady begins his third season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it was almost a different team. I Tune know. in next. I know for more. Right. That's what's gonna, gonna happen. Out there for seven months. Yeah. Um let, let me add a little something to it. I because I, I, I was thinking about this. Like, what what else do I know about it that hasn't been said? This is an interesting little wrinkle to the whole thing because once we started poking around, remember you and I text. I say this is kind of at the point where you and I are both hearing enough, yeah. separately. Right. That we need to actually posture this a little bit and frame yeah. it, right? And and pull the sheet off of the statue and let the world see it. So I did some actual real reporting. Even though I am not trained, I am experienced. I'm kind of like Jerry Jones as a GM. After 30 years, even though you had no business doing it in the first place, you kind of start to figure out the job. So I reached out to the various parties involved to try to get information. I asked the Dolphins about it, and they acknowledged that they contacted the Saints with an inquiry about the possibility of hiring Sean Payton. And eventually, because we were pushing it, Chris Greer, the GM of the team, was asked at the scouting combine about it, and he admitted it. Chris Greer called Jeff Ireland, the Saints assistant GM, former Dolphins GM, to have the conversation, and Ireland told Greer, basically, don't waste your time. Here's the rest of the story on that. That wasn't part of the effort to get Sean Payton. That was just coincidental. Greer didn't know what was going on. It was all happening above Above him. It was already done above him when he made the call to Jeff Ireland. It was completely and totally coincidental. I I, uh, also will believe that things were done above most people in Tampa as well. I do. You know, I got some pushback from people in the Tampa organization over this story a little bit. You know, at first, and I push back a little bit 
And then they backed off because they were like, oh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, where they were, they did not like, and, and Brady alluded to this a little last week, I believe. You know, I talked about, hey, what happened was free agency was starting and Tampa was going to have to start to get into the quarterback conversation a little bit because they have no quarterback. And that's where Brady had to start going, okay, well, wait, damn, I don't have any other options. I'll come back to Tampa. I had thrown out Deshaun Watson's name when I discussed that I was wrong. I, I didn't know that for a fact. I was wrong. I just threw it out there for an example. I know the Bucks didn't like that, so I apologize for throwing his name out there. But everything else is spot on. And just like you're talking about with the Dolphins, I know that, yes, these were high-level conversations. This was Brady and his representation with the owners. There, he was, He's an owner world, everybody. When you're Tom Brady or you're a franchise quarterback, the most power, you're the most powerful person in the organization. You're, you're more powerful than the coach and everybody. It's, it's, it's the quarterback, the owner, and you get to start to have those type of conversations, and that's what went down, certainly. And that, that conversation was way down the road, and Miami and Tom Brady and Sean Payton was happening. If he wanted to make that power play, he makes that power play. He brought the team an unexpected Super Bowl win in 2020. He gave them a full stadium in 2021 when they hadn't had one since their Super Bowl year. Yeah, he was getting out if he wanted out, and it it it, it was done. And one of these days, they're going to wake up to it. Now, I know some of the folks at ESPN are talking about it, but it's never been – really mentioned or discussed or, or even acknowledged by their news-breaking group because, look, it's, it's funny to see this. It's not theirs, so they're acting like it's not real. Same as NFL media. I don't think NFL media well, has breathed a word of this. They didn't report it, so it's not real. It's not ours. We're just well, going to ignore yeah. it because we don't want to have to give somebody else credit because we got scooped. We should have had it. It's amazing, and I know that the reporters are under a lot of pressure and it's competitive, but, but I mean, come on. It is what it is. It's out there. So what? You're not going to get every damn story. That doesn't mean you ignore the ones you don't get. I agree. I feel like there's two things in play there. I think the NFL doesn't want that story to really to be out True. there. Uh, that would be True. the first thing, right? I mean, just because of, of the Brian Flores situation and all that. There's so many illegal things about Sean Payton and Brady going to – I mean, they broke every law in the CBA. I mean, yes. they broke every law. Tampering, right. tampering galore. Exactly right. I mean, everything there. So then there's that. And then the other aspect I will bring into this, and, and a guy I got great respect for here and Adam Schefter, but Adam Schefter is a Michigan guy. His, he is a, a Brady guy by all accounts. And, oh, wait, yes, oh, wait, the owner of the Dolphins, where did he go to school? Oh, that's right, Michigan. So I could also see personal relationship getting into that one and being like, yeah, I won't tell you know some of the secrets of some of my friends here and maybe that's why that story's not so, out so, there too so so let's let's be clear on what you're saying because i agree with you depriving the audience of the truth putting your own personal relationships and agendas above giving the audience the truth my only commitments to the audience i don't care who gets pissed off at me as you know chris yes I i'm going to tell the truth whatever's out there is out there you got to deal with it and, uh, you know, it's for the audience to decide whether or not they're going to listen to people who tell them the truth or only the truth that is convenient for the reporter to tell. And then you just ignore the story. It's just ignored. And so, look, I think more and more people are starting to realize there was something there. And it's a fascinating case study. And it's a shame that others didn't jump in. More would be revealed. And, Chris, you touched on something I think very important. The biggest rule that would have been violated by this, n not necessarily – 
the letter of the rule because the Dolphins would have made sure they complied. But clearly the spirit of the rule, the Rooney rule. Yeah. You've already decided you're hiring a white coach. Period. You've made the decision before you even embark on the full-blown process. Just like Jerry Jones was going to do in 2019 when he lined up Sean Payton. He still had a coach in Jason Garrett. Jason was getting fired. They were going to do a search that complied with the Rooney rule, and then they were going to trade for Sean Payton. It was all set up ahead of time, and it was just a matter of implementing it. I think you're right. NFL media, they know they're stepping onto the third rail if they talk about this story because it exposes the underbelly that has really characterized the last 20 years. The Rooney rule isn't something that owners generally look to as some guiding light that gives them a better sense of how they should go about hiring coaches. It's like filling out your tax form. You just got to do it. We got to check boxes. We got to fill in numbers. We got to do this. We got to do that. Form over substance. At the end of the day, we're still hiring the guy we want. Oh, and we're going to set it all up before we embark on this phony process of complying with this rule because the league requires us to comply with this rule. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I think, yes, all that. And then the fact that, yeah, the owners were so involved, I think, here in, you know, basically, you know, talking about commodities that weren't available, you know, on top of that. So there, there's a lot of issues there where I think that would scare NFL media off of and, and uh, as far as that's concerned. But, hey, this was – a real thing. There's no doubt about that. We know that. And I think you're right. It's going to continue to come out. And at some point, everybody's going to buy into what we've been trying to tell them since, what was that, mid-March when we broke or started hey, talking about this? It was this? February 28th. February, February 28th. 28th, yeah. Since we're already tooting our own horn and or wearing a groove in our own back, let me just say, let me just say, to the discerning NFL information and analysis consumer, you got plenty of choices. You got plenty of choices. It's up to you to choose whether or not you're getting your information from people being straight with you or whether you're dealing with people who have agendas, whether it's personal agendas, whether it's they work for the NFL, so there's certain things they can't say because they work for the NFL and paychecks are literally signed by Roger Goodell, literally signed by Roger Goodell. You decide where you're going to get your information. It's up to you. We're still going to be here doing what we do. Now, the Sean Payton transaction would have entailed, I'm told, a first-round pick from the Dolphins to the Saints. With Peyton not available, they sent that first-round pick to the Chiefs, plus more for Tyreek Hill. What did we miss while Chris was in his hammock? Not just a three-day weekend, a four-day weekend, although it wasn't a weekend yesterday. He earned his money by sweating his ass off in Cincinnati. What happened on Friday, and this was a weekend thing, Friday night, I still don't know why they dropped this podcast on a Friday. Podcast 101 Drop it on a day when people are actually going to listen to it and talk about it. And it's going to reverberate more than it did. Tyree Kill had some strong comments about why he left the Chiefs. Let's start there. There were two topics that really stood out. The Tyree Kill debut episode of It Needed to Be Said. He had Drew Rosenhaus on as his guest. Julius Collins, his longtime lawyer, was his co-host. And Chris, it became clear. I don't know if you've listened to it. It became clear. It was more than just a cold business transaction. Tyree Kill was upset with the extent to which he was getting the football last year. It started week two against the Ravens when he had four targets and three catches, complaining about it all year, never took it public, but privately he was wearing out the Chiefs, and that was the thing, and Hill said it. That was the thing that drove the wedge between him and the team. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I I understand. With really great receivers, they want the football a lot. You know, and I just think with Kansas City a little bit, um, 
they got a creative offense. They do a lot of different things. And they try to get Tyreek Hill the ball. But if it's like, okay, the defense is going to show favoritism to him and always play to him, they'll continue to use him, you know, as a discount too. But, you know, I mean, again, he's still, as we see there, one of the most targeted receivers in all of football. There's no doubt. So I don't think he has, you know, I don't think he can be too angry. I don't. Uh, it's the style of play they played. And, of course, he's the number one weapon in the sport as far as, like, dangerous down-the-field uh, wide receiver. And you've been tearing everybody up in football for the last four years with a quarterback that's one of the best down-the-field throwers in the sport. And people caught on to them a little bit. And I think that's more or less what happened last year. It's just all of that kind of came to a head and less to led to a, a few less catches and touches maybe than in years past. Yeah, and... And, and look, still talking about what a hundred and eleven receptions last year, right? Yeah. Right. He had a huge year. Um, I I really think I said this yesterday when Miles Simmons and I were talking about it. I think all year long he's seeing the numbers that Cooper Cup's racking Probably. up. And he's chasing Calvin Johnson for all time records, and Hill's thinking that should that should be me. That should be me. I uh, get the ball in my hands, and you know it's and it's very easy for a receiver to convince himself that. The more I get the ball, the more likely we are to win. Odo Beckham Jr. kind of went through that in Cleveland. You get, you get me the ball and we win. And you're not getting me the ball and we're not winning. So it's kind of proving the point backward. Get me the ball if we want to win. I'm convinced. I want to win. Right. I want the team to win. I can help us win. Right. Get me the ball. And the Chiefs still turned it around and they, they, you know, they, they got to the AFC Championship game and they – they went to overtime. Yeah, they should have beaten the Bengals. They should have been back to the Super Bowl again. But but what happened was the foundation for the dysfunction was laid during the season one week at a time. And I really do think, to the extent that he was complaining all year long to the Chiefs, that made them more inclined to say, we save our money, we get five picks, and we don't have to deal with a guy who is crossing over into diva territory. Yeah, sure. So if, if we give him... If we give him 25 26 27 million a year and he's already being a pain in our ass about not getting the ball enough is he going to get better or is he going to get worse yeah and and i know that i know of teams that said we're out we're not interested because they heard enough about what went on last year that they didn't want any part of hill because i think when somebody is already showing those tendencies if you pay them 27 28 30 million a year whatever the real details are and it's really not 30 million a year um they're not going to get better no, it's, it's it's only going to get if you're already showing diva tendencies, you make that guy one of the highest paid players in the NFL at his position. It's it's only going to get worse, not better. No, no doubt. And, you know, and then for the, on a year like I mean, we're showing here on the bottom of the screen, you know, I mean, it's career high in receptions, career high in targets. I mean, so that, that that's like a little hard to get behind that, let alone we're at a point in his career, too, where we see receivers like that. You lose a step. And do I think Tyreek Hill maybe to a degree lost a step as he as fast as he was three or four years ago? No, I think it was the first year in a while where we can go away from the season and go, wait, we know Tyreek Hill's the man. He's still maybe, you know, he's in the conversation for one of the most dangerous weapons in the sport. But it is the first year we've had in a while here where we've gone, well, I don't know. Is Jamar Chase more explosive than he is? Is Debo Samuel more explosive? He's got some some rivals or some competitors in that conversation now as to, to the point you're making here to where I can understand that. Let alone, let me throw this in too. He's not the most gifted route runner in the world. 
He's not known to be able to do some of the underneath stuff. And let me just remind everybody, too, while we're on this conversation, is when he does some of the underneath stuff, how many interceptions did he cause from uh, Patrick Mahomes last year? I mean, how many times did he have a ball at five or six or eight yards and the ball went off his hands and in the air and became an interception for Patrick Mahomes? So that's not going to lend itself to the offense going, you know, let's keep doing that stuff with Tyreek. He's really good at it. No, he's, that's not one of his strong points. He's better just go that way, go deep, go that way deep. That's what he does, and it's going to be hard to get 150 receptions when you're that type of receiver. And that's the hallmark of good coaching, shying a guy away from the things he doesn't do well and accentuating the things he thrives at. They're helping him. They're making him look better that way by not having him continue to do things if he's having any issues. So it was more than just the reasons why Tyreek Hill and the Chiefs are no longer together. Tyreek Hill was asked to compare Patrick Mahomes and Tua Tagovailoa, and Miles and I talked about this yesterday. The idea of asking receivers to compare their new quarterback who isn't one of the all-time greats with their former quarterback who is one of the all-time greats is inherently unfair to everyone. It really is apples and oranges, whether it's Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers, whether it's Tua Tagovailoa and Patrick Mahomes. And what Tyreek Hill said is, obviously arm strength goes to Patrick Mahomes, but he actually said that Tua is more accurate. Now, plenty of people react to that, Chris, by saying, yeah, if you're only three and throwing three-yard passes, it's easy to be highly accurate. But I, I, I see no benefit here to anyone because all this does is put even more pressure on Tua to have a great year and take full advantage of Tyreek Hill and be extremely accurate. Put the ball in the breadbasket right in between the numbers for Tyreek Hill all the time. And if you don't, you're, you're not cashing the check that Tyreek Hill has written with your name on it. No, no, you're you're exactly right about that. I think, you know, again, I'm I'm with you in the fact that you're putting too much pressure on Tua by continuing to go down this conversation. That that, that to me is the biggest thing. You're putting a spotlight on it even more here as we go into it. To where again, it's going to be like if if Tua has some bad games and doesn't, you know, have a good completion percentage, it's going to get, you know, it's going to become a social media thing that people are going to have fun with. It's just going to add more pressure that way. You know, uh the, uh, Tua is accurate. There's no doubt. Tyreek Hill's doing his best to stick up for his quarterback, and I respect that. Tua is accurate. That's what Tua talks about the most is ball placement. That's what I always hear. He's very into that and in practice and everything there. Well, that's he's got to be good at that. His arm's not going to get much stronger. He's not going to all of a sudden throw 100-mile-per-hour fastballs. So that's got to be you know his bread and butter. And you know Mahomes statistically threw a lot of short passes last year, Mike. And had a lot of like yards after catch added to his stats. But there's a difference there. I mean, Mahomes' short passes are because we're looking for a bomb here. We're looking for a bomb here. And we're looking for a bomb here. And everybody's 70 yards deep. So now you have to throw it underneath. With Tua, it's, wait, we got 74 guys going three yards down the field. And we just hope you can hit one of those and do that. And there's a big difference there. So I'm not ready to join Tyreek Hill in the Tua's more accurate than Patrick Mahomes conversation quite yet. And and play this out. You're right. They start playing the games. If Tua isn't spectacular, there are no excuses for Tua this year. Teron Armstead is there to beef up the offensive line. They've added Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert. They've got Tyreek Hill to go along with Jalen Waddell. They still have Mike Gesicki. The offense is great, and if it struggles, it's on Tua. And what's Tyreek going to say if he's not? He's he's, going to get made fun of. 
he's setting a bar for himself. Exactly. Exactly. And if he doesn't have a Cooper Cup type year in Miami, where he's the guy now, it was funny yesterday. You know, we talked about it coming out of this video. Drew Rosenhaus at one point was basically drilling down to the nub of the problem in Kansas City. In Kansas City, Mahomes is the guy, not Tyreek Hill. In Miami, Tyreek's going to be the guy. And as Drew was saying that, Tyreek interjected and said, no, 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 no. Well, wait a minute. I think Drew knows his clients pretty well. Drew knows what they want. He's had the conversations, talks to them all the time. I think that's really the key. Now, Tyreek's the guy. And if he's not getting it done, it can't be Tyreek's fault. It can't be Tyreek's lost a step. It can't be the ball's going off of Tyreek's hands. It's got to be somebody else's fault. That's just human nature that's going to unfold before our very eyes if this doesn't work. It's just this is why coaches don't want guys to go have their own podcasts during the offseason because they talk and they talk and they talk and they end up talking themselves into a corner that is very difficult to get out of when the season begins. No, no question. And and I, the, the Miami Dolphins, I, I think, maybe have more pressure on them than any other team in football. It, it's up there. It is. When you really lay it out on the line, wait, team was good going in the right direction. Wait, you, you fired the coach? What? What? Whoa, the team, the roster is phenomenal. Whoa, there's a lot of pressure on McDaniels. I mean, McDaniel, first year. Whoa, bam, hey, whoa, you look like you have one of the best teams in football. You better play good. Oh, Tua, yeah, we have invested top five pick. Oh, we're going to make it all work and do all that. Man, there's pressure on everybody in that organization throughout. There really is. There's, there's going to be a microscope on, on them about a number of the off-season storylines and things that are kind of being set up by them themselves. And that's where I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And the most pressure of all is on Tua. It's on yes, Tua. 100%. And if he doesn't get it done next year, it's going to be two of the other quarterbacks we've talked about a little bit or a lot today, Lamar Jackson or Tom Brady. It's going to be the top destination. If you're a veteran quarterback right now thinking, this may be my last year with my current team, where do I want to go in 2023? Miami. Miami. No Absolutely. doubt. Let's no take doubt. a break. Yeah. We're going to continue with the Chris Sims quarterback countdown, number nine and number eight, right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Now we look at our 10-day forecast. It's looking a little bit like those Dallas Cowboys is peaking in the 90s. <laughs> oh, oh, That's man. amazing. Boom! <laughs> take that, Jerry Jones. Are you just going to take that, Jerry Jones? Are you going to take that? What's the world coming to? Where was that right, guy? He's uh, from Dallas? Was he a Dallas weatherman? Is that what that was? There? I think it was Dallas because I, I sent the clip to Shireen and she knew exactly who it was. Dallas on I, Dallas I wanted crime. To make sure, Man, wow. I wanted to make sure that Shireen got to enjoy the shot taken at, at her team. Um, but the Cowboys, look, there are some skeptics. There's some pessimism. What have they really done to get better, especially when the Eagles are doing everything they can to move up? But the one thing the Cowboys have, <laughs> there he is, a little side eye. You're not selfish. You're not selfish. Speak for yourself, Chris Sims. Chris Sims quarterback countdown, number nine, Dak Prescott. Um, look, uh, hey, the, the Cowboys are all in contractually on Dak. 
He had the broken ankle week five against the Giants in 2020, and he was back last year. And uh, what what was your thought process to get him in the top ten? But, you know, some Cowboys fans would say, hey, maybe he's a little bit better than number nine. I, I know. You know, I get it all over the place, actually, from Cowboys fans, honestly. It's weird with the Dak Prescott relationship. It's like they don't love their quarterback all the way, and they blame some of the things with the team on him. I don't understand it. First off, like when I think about Dak Prescott, size, mental, physical toughness, it's as good as anybody in football. That's where he's really special. He's a great leader, right? He's a good athlete, and he's going to even be better this year with another year to be healthy off of that angle. He's got a very good arm. Is it like one of the elite arms? No, but it's awesome. He's a great down-the-field thrower. He's a good decision maker. There's no question. And he's aggressive in doing that. And he knows how to work in the pocket and make so many more great throws than people give him credit for in the pocket with people around him. And that, to me, is why he's nine and why I have him one spot ahead of Lamar Jackson. You know, first off, you see here, hey, the Dallas Cowboys, they don't have a good running game. All right? They're nothing special. We talked about that last week. They are all about Dak Prescott and passing the football. And, hey, the defense itself, too, not all that great either. But you see here, can make plays, always calm in the pocket. Again, escape in the pocket, people around him grabbing him, sure. Hey, on the run, bootleg, 30-yard throw down the field, game winner. You know, again, doesn't leave a whole lot of yards on the field, ain't afraid to push the ball down the field into some tight windows, and can make all the throws too. Again, you see here, touch, power, whatever, and then tough as hell. I mean, I don't know if there's a quarterback that's tougher in football. Just stand in there, oh, buy time, boom, get crushed in the face, no big deal. 40-yard completion, completion to C.D. Lamb. It's constant. And to me, this is where it's not the most overly creative offense, but they expect 400 yards passing and four touchdowns every game with not a very good defense and not a very good running game. And teams know they're going to drop back and throw it every play, and he's under pressure a lot and makes a lot of big-time, high-level high degree of difficulty throws. And that's where people don't respect him quite enough. Uh, He's going to be able to do that stuff. And I just, again, I think this guy's a a really good football player and doesn't get quite the respect I think he deserves, in my opinion. That that last clip, they're up 36-3. to Yeah, why? And he drops his shoulder. And, and, I mean, look, I'll say this about any quarterback out there. you got to protect yourself against injury. You have to know that... You keep taking hits, sooner or later, you're going to get injured. I mean, that's how Baker Mayfield's career got knocked off track. Jimmy Garoppolo in 2018, taking that hit, lowering the shoulder at the sideline and having his ACL tear out, it's just not worth it, especially when you're up 36-3. to There's got to be a greater awareness. But I understand that, that quarterbacks want to be regarded as that tough, rough-and-tumble leader that the other players on the team will follow. But I don't think anyone would have faulted him for sliding there or, or continuing his path toward the sideline, not to the goal line. No, he plays a physical brand of football. It might be a different way than Lamar. And we didn't see as many quarterback design runs last year, but I think you will probably see them back in the fold because, too, you know, to the other thing is he's a huge human being. He's, he's really as, as, as big as they come as far as quarterbacks in football. I mean, it's an easy 240-plus type of weight, and it's all in the right spots. And, you know, two to your point, too, it plays a physical brand of football within the pocket. You know, that's where I, I, one of the things I wrote down when I was really breaking him down is just not sure if anyone is less affected by people around them in the pocket than Dak Prescott. 
He really is. People tugging at his shoulder, people around his leg, still looking downfield, boom, Amari Cooper, 50-yard throw, whatever. Uh, They put a lot on him. He does a lot at the line of scrimmage. He is the general of that offense. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, I think it's, again, you know, him and Lamar, uh, it was tight. It really was. But I think his ability, again, what I would say to work within the pocket and people knowing they're going to throw the football and expecting these great results on a weekly basis for them, where I think the talent on the offense is a little overrated there in Dallas, too. Uh, I think that some, some, it hurts Dak Prescott for, in some ways in the, the public eye a little bit. And at least that's the way I feel. I don't know. Do you feel like I'm wrong there, Mike? Or is he I, I, no, I, differently? I, well, and this is his opportunity. Amari Cooper's gone. C.D. Lamb becomes the number one receiver. We wrote something yesterday based on an article from Clarence Hill, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, that Tony Pollard actually taking reps in the slot. Yeah. He's going to play some running back and some receivers, so they're trying to deploy their assets. But Dak Prescott's still the guy who's in the center of the action, the guy with the star on the helmet, the guy who will be the quarterback of the Cowboys, presumably, well, it, for years to come. Yeah. Go well, ahead. I, just, I was going to say one more thing. And you know, C.D. Lamb, you know, he hasn't been as good as they want him to be. Dalton Schultz is a good tight end. Amari Cooper was hurt a lot last year. Ezekiel Elliott is not in the top 10 running back conversation. The O-line is not one of the top O-lines in football. But people act like it's the greatest show on turf. And again, they're good. Don't get me wrong. But I just a little bit Dallas, the bump up, for some reason seems to hurt Dak Prescott. And I just want to go, yeah, these guys are good, but they're, they're, people are acting like they're the best in the league at their position in some of this. And then you couple that with, whoa, the defense was better. Yeah, whoop-dee-doo. It was 21 in football last year. It was 21st. And we act like they were like the 85 Bears. So, you know, again, Dak Prescott is the team. He is the most important, best player, and the kind of everything and the style they play is all dictated through him, and there's a lot of pressure on him that way. And uh, he's really damn good, and I think people need to respect him a little bit more. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It was clear he was all the way back as of week one, that Thursday night game in Tampa when Dak Prescott and the Cowboys gave the Buccaneers everything they could handle. Their quarterback, not Dolphins, but Buccaneers quarterback, number eight on the Tom Brady or Chris Sims, as the case may be. What is that? There it is. Chris Sims, Tom Brady, number eight. Uh, And again, you're going to have some salty people. He's the GOAT. How can the GOAT be number eight? He's got to be better than number eight. Right. Well, again, you know, I just remind everybody, we're all on the same team. All right. We don't have the Buccaneers and the all-star team there. And it's not a career achievement. It's about where you are right now. Brady is freaking awesome. I don't know how anybody can be really that mad of going, hey, a guy's going to be 45 and he's the eighth best quarterback in football. He's amazing. He's the GOAT. You know, and what I would too say too is more of a playmaker and aggressive decision maker than ever before. I mean, he's really, to me, where I used to feel like he was a little bit of a political player in New England a little. If I threw an interception, he's going to be careful. Man, he goes down swinging now, and he pushes the envelope with decisions and throws. And I think that's the Byron Leftwich bruce Arians effect. They've gotten him to loosen up a little bit. Hey, if you make a mistake, okay. And it's made him more dangerous because you got to defend the field more. He's looking to strike. He's not going, let me find Edelman for four over the middle. Look at here, holding the ball in the pocket, going, screw the 20-yard completion. I'm going for 55 to Antonio Brown. That's where, to me, Brady has become extremely, extremely dangerous. We know he's amazing at the line of scrimmage and all of that. His ability to throw the ball in the pocket is top-notch. Again, his leadership, effect on the team. I don't know if anybody has a greater effect than anybody in the sport than, than Tom Brady that way. And in the pocket, he's great. 
There's just the one issue that is a downfall. And, and again, I think we see that in the games they lose. And it's one of the things, Mike, where I went, man, should I make Dak Prescott ahead of Tom Brady? Because I will say, like, I don't think a Dak Prescott-Tampa Bay team, if he's leading that team, is down 27-3 to to the Rams in some of those games where, oh, the pressure is so bad, he can't make a decision, he's just trying to get the ball out of his hand, and he can't do anything off schedule. And that, to me, again, off schedule is a big part of the NFL. Not everybody gets to have the best offensive line in football and the best receivers and the best tight end and everything there. So, you know, to me, that's why he's not higher than eight is we see when the team, the Bucks, can't physically dominate and you got to play the Saints or Washington with a grunt right front four or the Rams, and now the game isn't just easy and you get to sit in the pocket and make throws and decisions all game. This is, to me, where he's less than. He's definitely less than in this department, and why ultimately I make him eight and not much, uh, not much higher or not higher. It's it's the Kirk Cousins dynamic. It is a little, yeah, really is, yes. And Tom Brady has the experience where he walks up to the line of scrimmage, he diagnoses the defense, he knows who's going to be open, he can get rid of the ball a little bit faster. He doesn't have to think it through the way that younger quarterbacks may have to do it. But again, if the walls close in. What's he going to do? What almost happened at the end of the 2020 NFC Championship game? Yeah, that too. The Packers almost came back and won because it was throw the ball up for grabs and bail out because I don't want to get hit. And that's fine. That's fine. It takes a tremendous amount of courage at any age to cross that thick white line and go onto an NFL football field. When you're in your 40s, it takes even more courage. And he's trying not to get blown up by guys who are literally half his age and younger. That's right. That is. It's 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 the it's really the only flaw in his football game, really, at this point. His arm is still amazing. You know, I like the fact that, you know, again, even when he made mistakes against the Saints the last few years and things, he doesn't like go into a shell. He goes, Okay, I'm gonna still keep throwing this damn thing and be aggressive. Oh, damn, piss six, we lost. All right, but at least I went down trying to win the game. I do like that about him. He's still as clutch as it gets as far as an NFL quarterback at the end of a game. There's nobody more clutch than Brady. That's where he's special. And then, hey, his size and his ability to throw over people and all that, size is a skill as you hear me say a lot. But, yes, the pressure element is certainly the the number one issue there. And, again, if we're, we're all on the same team, and it's at all, you know, we don't got the bucks and all that. That's where I think if you realistically look at it, you go, yeah, Brady, I think, is eight, and he's not going to be able to do some of the other things that the other quarterbacks in front of him can when their team is being overpowered or outmatched to a degree. And I just wonder with some of these younger guys who can make the off-schedule throws, who can extend the plays with their legs, will they transition to a point where when their legs are failing them in their late 30s, they can play like Brady does and extend it into their 40s when it's quick decision, get rid of the ball, and bail out when necessary. We need to bail out just for a minute or two. Russell Wilson has been all over the place this offseason, but he still puts in the work. We'll hear from his head coach about the very busy life of Russell Wilson right after this on PFT Live. There he is, but it's a guy. Go Broncos! <laughs> Go Broncos! <laughs> hey, Malcolm Butler! Johnny! Oh my god! No! Don't say that! That's mean spirited! 
Malcolm Butler. Of course, if you're going to go up into that kind of New England area, I don't know where is Dartmouth. It's somewhere in the. It's New Hampshire. It's New a Hampshire. New England yeah, fan, yeah. right? You're, yeah, you got to be careful. You got to. Oh no, but you don't do that. The guy's flying cross country. The guy doing something for school where you're part of the you're family. That's right. Malcolm Butler. That's right. Un- unless. Unless Marshawn Lynch had snuck into the audience and it was him, that would have been next level to get trolled by Marshawn Lynch about Malcolm Butler at the Dartmouth commencement speech. But that's what Russell Wilson did over the weekend. And he's been all over the place, Chris. He's been very busy. He shows up for the voluntary workouts. He's locked in, but then he jumps on air Russ and goes wherever and lives his life and uh, there's a balance there that he has to strike his head coach Nathaniel Hackett not concerned about him striking that balance here's Hackett yesterday talking about his quarterback's very active life I think when it first started you're like whoa are you going to be able to pick all this stuff up are we going to be able to own the offense like we want to but he does such a great job at surrounding himself with great people that help him out so that he can do all these things and still focus solely on football. And, I mean, it's unbelievable to watch and just watch every single second he has. I mean, he's nonstop working. If he's in that on a plane, he's watching film, he's studying, he's calling people, he's calling me. I mean, it's – and that's what you appreciate. So, you know what, uh, everybody's professional. Everybody does things different. Some people are here, and they might not work even as hard as he does when he's leaving. So I think that, you know, everybody's different, and he does a fantastic job learning everything and look the pressure's on russell wilson he's getting what he wanted chris an offense that is built around him not we're going to play defense we're going to run the ball and if we're down by seven or ten points in the fourth quarter russ can you save us today we need you today our our formula isn't working you think you can whip something up here and get us a victory no it's going to be about him from the get-go so there is extra pressure on him to show that that he merits an offense that runs through him. No no doubt. There's a lot of pressure on him. We know they have talent on that offense, right? We know there's a contract down you know, the road here at some point with the Denver Broncos, right? And that's where, you know, yeah, I'm never in favor of the guy having too much to go on. But Russell Wilson's one of those guys that's a little bit like the robot we were talking about earlier. I mean, damn, the guy's got, what, two houses that got football fields in the backyard? Uh, he, he's, he lives it. He's obsessed with it. So he's one of those guys where I go, oh, okay, it's a little less than – it bothers me maybe less with him than other people, I guess, to a degree. But, damn, I just I, – I don't know as a quarterback. I don't know how I, – I wouldn't be able to do all that stuff. I, I'm, I wasn't smart enough. I wouldn't want to do all of it. But he's pulling it off. And he look, I think he thrives he on that, being busy all the yes, time, engaged right. all the time, compartmentalizing your various obligations and your interests and doing everything and showing that you can do everything at a very high level. It gets him to number seven on the Chris Sims top 40 quarterback countdown. I can't remember where he was last year, but he has slipped. He's one of these guys who has slipped, not because of him as much as because of yeah. all these other great young quarterbacks that may be leapfrogging him a little yeah no doubt I mean hey he's getting up there in age too but he's still I mean this is still one of the best big play quarterbacks in football that's the biggest thing I would say with Russell Wilson he makes so many game-changing plays as throws as many as many as anybody in football and to add on top of that in like the one of the least quarterback friendly offenses you can get there in Seattle I mean we talked about that all the time I mean hey it's it's four games they threw the ball to DK Metcalf twice and there's too many throws that are way down the field or it's run the ball on first and run it on second. Hey, Russ, it's third and 12. Now throw a laser for us. But this is where he's special. You know, again, for an offense that's not creative, he always takes advantage of, oh, wait, there's a big play that could be available here, and he hits it. 
and then of course has the ability to extend plays. So makes a lot of plays outside the realm of the offense and extends plays that way where he's still awesome, but also within the normal rhythm of the offense. Like, oh, here's read one to two to three. Hey, the fourth read is a post over the top that he only get to every now and then, and he gets to that a lot. That's where he's really, really special. He's got an awesome arm. We know that. You know, he's got powerful arm to throw the ball outside the numbers. Um, you know, last year the injury threw him off for sure, and he lost control of the football a little bit with, with that finger injury. And I think, Mike, if there was things I'd talk about to where he needs to improve, he still is reluctant to throw the ball over the middle into tight windows. That is for sure. When you really watch him, there are plays and some completions that get turned down there. The ball is outside the numbers too much, and that to me would be the biggest thing. He doesn't have any different arm angles compared to the other quarterbacks. That's where he lacks a little bit as compared to those guys. But here's my point, Mike, with where he throws the football. The red is where he throws it a lot. The blue is not where he throws it a lot. And as you can see there, I think because of his size, his delivery is a little bit longer and has a little bit of a tell where I think defenders can knock the ball down. And he's been playing for Pete Carroll. who has been telling him not to turn the ball over and take chances. I think that has made him a little scared to make some tight window throws in the middle of the field. And to me, that's probably the biggest issue in his game when, when I break him down. And, you know, last year he, I think, forced himself back from that injury. Too early. Faster than he should right, have. Right, And uh, and that, that hurt his performance. And, and I can't fault a guy for that. We've talked about Baker Mayfield, how yeah. he should have taken some some time and tried to heal that, that shoulder, maybe – taking as much as needed to get it back to 100%. But when you're in the football season, you want to keep playing, and Russell Wilson wanted to keep playing and proving himself. Do you think he proves himself in an offense that is different than any offense he's run? Will he be able to pull it off with the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen approach that you are our guy, you are our franchise quarterback, and this is about you? Nothing but you. I do. I do think he's going to be able to pull it off. You know, do, do I think he's as good as Josh Allen or Mahomes? I mean, obviously not. You know, they're they're you're yet to come. Uh, but this is still a really special guy who has it all—the work ethic, the smarts. And to your point here, Mike, like it's the first time he's going to be in an offense that's really like quarterback friendly. Hey, let's get Russ in a rhythm. Let's get him feeling good. You know, it was anything but that in Seattle other than the start of the 2020 season where they let Russ cook. And again, he was on a pace there early on in the year. We were going, he's going to win the MVP, and he's having an unreal year. So I think we're going to see that, let alone I think overall it's probably his most talent he's going to have around him at receiver, tight end, everything there. So, yeah, I expect Russ to, to kick some butt there. And I think Nathaniel Hackett is one of those coaches who is just going to do everything to make sure the quarterback's happy and make the world about him, like you're saying, to where they're almost not going to let it fail. It, it won't happen the, the way those, those guys work and, and execute game plans. My big question with Russell Wilson is his mobility. I think he's recognized he needs to have a little more natural armor as he gets older to protect himself because he's not as big yes. as most quarterbacks. Has that limited his ability? I think it's a great question, Make something Mike. happen yeah. when, the, when the play that's been called doesn't go his way. It was gotta, less last year, right? Right. Yeah. It was less, right? Yeah. You noticed that. I know we talked about it during the year a few times where we were just like, hey, it's still good, but it's not 
you know, quite the behind the line of scrimmage, magic, run around, make a guy miss, set up. Oh, wait, make another guy miss, set up again. Oh, maybe throw a bomb or then take off for 20 yards. Like we used to see that, you know, 10, 15 times a year at least, you know, when he was going. And I do think that's fewer and far between there, but still an awesome playmaker. And I expect to see like the best Russell Wilson possible this year. And the problem is we see that stuff all the time from Patrick Holmes and Josh Allen, just to name two. Yes, so it right. raises the bar for the other guys. Exactly. Let's take a break. Right. More PFT Live coming at you right after this. We had gone a couple of days without a Deshaun Watson development, but it seems like more often than not, there is going to be a new wrinkle that emerges. And now... The new wrinkle is two new lawsuits. Attorney Tony Busby confirmed on Monday night that there will be two additional civil complaints filed against Deshaun Watson alleging presumably sexual misconduct during massage therapy sessions. One, a referral from a lawyer in Atlanta. The other, someone who decided to come forward for the first time after seeing the HBO Real Sports feature three weeks ago. So now, Chris, the number is going to be 26. I do not know how the NFL gets out of this one without putting Deshaun Watson on paid leave. I know the commissioner has said no paid leave. If I'm going to do anything, I'm just going to suspend him. That was nearly three months ago. Things have changed dramatically in the last three weeks. I think paid leave makes the most sense, especially when they don't know how many more of these cases, Chris, are going to be filed. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I hear you, Mike. I just, I want to go like, I guess at some point, just go, I think we've, we've hit the point of it being bad enough to know that like, you know, a year is not crazy, I, I guess. that That's what I would say. You know, I, I always feel like with the NFL, and you've explained this so well, where, yes, they they drag their feet a little bit or, or take their time on this because they want to make sure all the information's out there. They don't get, you know, the Ray Rice, we've given you a suspension. Oh, no, we found out something worse. It should have been a worse suspension. They're worried about that. But I feel like we've kind of hit the limit with this one here. Like, it is, I don't know. So where I feel like if they came down hard on them right now, nobody's going to be like, well, wow, well, all the facts aren't out, and we need to see a few more things here. That's where it's a little different, and I just keep looking at my watch going, when is this going to happen? The problem is, what do you do now when the cases are still pending? And whatever you do now – Will the end result make it look like you didn't go far enough? Because at the end of the day, commissioner is going to want to, if anything, go too far. It was when he didn't go far enough with Ray Rice that almost got him fired. If anything, he's going to err on the side of going too far. I think paid leave makes sense because you tell Deshaun Watson, look, you got a situation you got to deal with. You got 26 people suing you. Who knows how many more? Focus on that. Don't worry about football. You're on paid leave while you take care of this. And you know what it would do? I said this last week. It would force him, as a practical matter, to settle the cases. He would settle them, something that should have been done from the get-go, which we've been saying consistently. And one other thing, Chris, Yeah. because I, the Browns – and I, I feel bad for Browns fans. I'm not criticizing the Browns fans out there who are defending Deshaun Watson. They've been put in this position where he's our quarterback. We feel compelled to defend him. It's an unseemly spot to be in. But people will say – typically with Browns fans somewhere in their Twitter profile, these are just allegations, not evidence. But do you understand the allegation is backed up by the sworn testimony of the individual? The evidence is the testimony. And yes, at the end of the day, it's he said, she said. But some of these folks are saying he wanted it this way. 
two people in a room and there's no one else. So how else do you prove the case? The plaintiff says that something improper happened and Deshaun Watson denies it over and over and over again. But when you hear it from 26 different people with no evidence of a conspiracy, very difficult. The more people who are added to this, the harder it is to hold everyone together if it is some big conspiracy and they all have false claims. It becomes overwhelming. And I think that at this point, it is overwhelming for the Browns, for Watson in the NFL, and the best move is put him on paid leave and let him get these things straightened out and then figure out a potential suspension once we know the outcome of each of the 26 cases. We take a break. When we return, our draft of the best non-quarterbacks in the division where Joe Burrow plays, AFC North. We'll do that right after this. Baker Mayfield watched back on. Jonathan Jones of CBS says that the Browns and the Panthers are talking again. There's an urgency that the Panthers feel to get this done. The sticking point continues to be how much the Panthers and the Browns will pay of the $18.8 million. At last word, it was the Panthers looking for the Browns to pay $13 to $14 million. Maybe the Panthers willing to pay a little bit more to get this done. The Browns need to know who their quarterback's going to be. I'd, I'd, I still say straight up Baker Mayfield for Sam Darnold. But we'll be breaking that down at... Yeah. BFT, yeah. we got to get to the draft of the best. Well, it shows you that maybe Sam Darnold hasn't done enough in the this uh, the spring to make them feel comfortable to go. Let's go in with Sam Darnold. That would be my just yeah. two cents in reading the yeah. crystal ball there. Time to pull the ripcord. Right. Time to break glass in event of emergency. All right. The best non-quarterbacks in the AFC North. Chris, you're up. All right. Thank you very much. I'll take that. Very nice of you. Um, one thing I realized, and I, I kind of like this exercise, damn, there's a lot of good players in the AFC North. Like, no no wonder why all four teams could be in the playoffs and legitimately be like a Super Bowl contender that way. I'm going to go with Jamar Chase as the number one guy. To me, wow. I am. Yep. I don't know. It's just Jamar Chase, to me, is in the convo for the most explosive offensive player in the game. He is one on one. Forget about it. Like, there's nobody can cover the guy one on one. We just saw a guy in Jalen Ramsey have to cover him, and it was not easy. And he's got three rockets up his butt. And to me, it's you know him and Debo Samuel are in the conversation for the best receivers in the game right now. So I'll go Jamar Chase. I'll go T.J. Watt. Yeah, I thought that's where you were going. I know. Yeah, great year last year. Gets yeah. the big money, holds in, still has an epic season for a team that needs everything it can get out of its defense as its offense continues to be kind of a work in progress. So T.J. Watt, as good now I think as J.J. Watt ever was. I mean, there, it, there used to be a gap, but I think right now peak T.J. Watt matches peak J.J. Watt. It, it's not far off. I don't know if I'm going to quite go there yet, but it's 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 starting to look that way. I mean. He's just hitting the prime of his career, so watch out. And, you know, it's a great pick. I mean, he's obviously one of the best defensive players in the sport, even though I still don't think he should have won NFL defense MVP last year. I still think Michael Parsons should have. Um, all right. I'm going to go with Miles my, my Garrett, the, the other best pass rusher in the division. Miles Garrett is as freaky as they come, and just like T.J. Watt, I think is in that conversation again for best defensive players in football. He's a force. He's a you know a force of nature, a wrecking ball. I mean, plays the run well. He's phenomenal, of course, as a pass rusher. I mean, he's a specimen. Miles Garrett, for me, you know, definitely one of the best pass rushers in the game. You know, I'm going to go with a running back, and I was going to go with Nick Chubb, but 
I'm I'm basing this on a projection. Okay. I think Najee Harris is going to be phenomenal this year. I know he's been talking to the Steelers about maybe a reduced workload. He he really was utilized a lot extensively. And the, the book on Alabama guys is they get overused in college, but he told me a few months ago I was on the sidelines in the third and fourth quarter. We were blowing everybody out. It was rare that I had to go wire to wire. Right. So I, I think he finds a groove this year. The attention to the passing game with whether it's Mitch Trubisky or or Kenny Pickett, I, I think Najee Harris is going to be the straw that stirs the drink for that offense, and he's going to end up being a star this year if he stays healthy. And we know the position is conducive to injury. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't hear you there. I mean, I hear you there. I don't think you're crazy for that thought. And again, I think with the way that offense is, the new quarterback is going to be able to move around a little bit. There'll be a little more deception to open up some space for Najee Harris, where, again, the Steelers the last few years, everybody knew is they're going to run the ball up the middle, and then, you know, Big Ben's going to look for a pass right over the middle in the same spot. The whole damn defense could play right like one in one area, and you could defend the Steelers. That made life hard on Najee, so I hear you there. Damn, I don't right, know. let's take a break. Okay, let's take a break. Take a you break. got time let's to think it. about it. Good, thank you. We'll, we'll wrap up the draft and wrap up the show right after this. All right, those are the first four picks. Best non-quarterbacks in the AFC North. A lot of great players, quarterbacks and otherwise, in that division. Chris, round three. Man, right. I mean, I don't like Cam Hayward, Minka Fitzpatrick, Joe Mixon, Jesse Bates, Trey Hendricks, Mark Andrews. I mean, Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward, holy crap. I'm going to go with Marlon Humphrey of the Baltimore Ravens, though. I am. I just have too much respect for this guy. Marlon Humphrey is uh, is one of the best corners in football. I feel like he gets a lot of criticism sometimes because people see him like on a highlight. We're going, oh, man, Marlon Humphrey was covering him. But I would also say to them, go, nobody, no corner in football gets put in tougher positions than Marlon Humphrey. They have expected a lot over him the last years. Blitz everybody, no safety in the middle of the field, and cover the guy in the slot who can go anywhere he wants with no safety and cover him. He only runs 4-3, and you got to stay with him. He gets asked to do that more than anybody. I think he's a hell of a football player. They put a lot of pressure on him. Marlon Humphrey. I really am reluctant to go 3-for-3 three three Steelers. What a I homer. Am very, I am very, very uh, strongly inclined to go with Cam Hayward, but I got to go with a different team. I, you mentioned Trey Hendrickson. You know, rarely do you see a guy who's a big money free agent acquisition who pans out. And I know some of the pundits were like, oh, that's a waste of money. He had one good year with the Saints. I questioned you're, it a little. I'll be yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. And, 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 he, and he was awesome. Yes, and awesome. Even though, even though the offense really made that team what it was last year. The defense still has to show up from time to time, especially in those close playoff games, and Hendrickson was right there. He was. He is. He's, he's legit. I, I question that. I was one of those guys going, wait, you know, did he just benefit being on a good defense and not having to start and play all the time and do all that? But, man, he showed that he's the real deal this year. All right, that's it for today. Chris, welcome back. we got a couple more days. We'll see you tomorrow morning for another edition of PFT Live. Have a great Tuesday. See ya. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.